The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 115 It is God who provides true protection. Over the next few weeks, Egypt tightened the noose around Jerusalem. Many Egyptians lost their lives as the men of Judah attacked them from the wall surrounding the city. They defended their capital with spears, rocks, molten lead, and boiling oil. However, Judah also sustained losses. Whenever one of the city's inhabitants showed himself atop the city wall, Egypt's archers took him down. The Bible doesn't say exactly how they breached the walls, but the Egyptians finally burst into the city, forcing the immediate surrender of Jerusalem's garrison. The people of Judah expected to die, but Shashak only made them lay down their weapons. Due to the repentance of Judah's leaders, God put it in Shashak's mind to show mercy to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The conquering army quickly overran the city, while Shashak made his way to Rehoboam's throne room. As he and his entourage walked the halls, they encountered a regally dressed figure approaching them. You are King Rehoboam? asked Shishak. Yes, I am, responded the king of Judah bitterly. Thank you for sparing our lives. Shashak nodded, pleased. I have no wish to cause needless suffering. His eyes bored into Rehoboam's. I have heard of the treasures of the kingdom of Judah. Perhaps you can show them to me. I have need of new furnishings for my palace in Egypt. Rehoboam swallowed his urge to refuse and led the way. Within a few days, the Egyptians had secured Jerusalem, removing all of the costliest treasures that had come into the kingdom during Solomon's reign. Shashak was particularly excited by the great throne of ivory that Solomon had built. He immediately had it packed and sent to his palace. Everything of value was stripped from King Rehoboam's house. The Egyptians also removed all the fine furnishings and metalworks of the temple. The victorious army finally returned to Egypt after what seemed like an eternity to Judah's inhabitants. The soldiers carried a tremendous amount of wealth with them perhaps more than any conquering army had ever seen. Shashak was not happy to just take Jerusalem's treasures though. He also levied a continuing tribute on Judah. During his invasion, Shashak ensured that Israel's farming and industry were left alone. He knew he would receive more benefit from a nation that could work than a nation left entirely destitute. Over the next several years, Judah somewhat recovered from the Egyptian offensive. Rehoboam learned some lessons from the invasion. 
He was humbled enough to turn to God to some degree. He replaced the things that had been taken by the Egyptian army, although much of it was inferior quality. Brass shields instead of gold shields adorned the palace guards, and the temple presented a much more drab appearance than the shining edifice Solomon had erected. The king followed God for a few years, but in time, he fell back into the same mistakes he had made before. Idolatry made a comeback as Rehoboam became more lax in enforcing God's laws. The former prosperity the kingdom had enjoyed turned to near poverty as the tribute to Egypt and the constant skirmishes with Israel drained the treasury. Twelve years after Shishak's invasion, Rehoboam died leaving a kingdom that looked much different than the one he had inherited from Solomon. One generation away from God changed Israel from a prosperous, dominant kingdom to a shadow of its former self. Rehoboam was buried in the tombs of the house of David, leaving a legacy of uncertainty for his people. After Rehoboam's death, his son, Abijam, became king. Although Abijam's reign was not much more successful than his father's, he did stand up for God in one incident. Israel and Judah continued to skirmish. Not content with what God had given him, Jeroboam wanted to conquer the remaining two tribes and add them to his kingdom. By the time Abijam ascended the throne, Jeroboam was ready to attack. Word reached the new king that 800,000 Israelite troops were coming for him. Abijam was only able to raise 400,000 soldiers, which was no light accomplishment considering Judah's much smaller population. However, it was not enough to stand against Jeroboam's army. But Abijam didn't have time to gather more. Jeroboam's soldiers were marching on the little kingdom of Judah. Abijam's army, small as it was compared to Jeroboam's force, moved to counter the opposing army. The soldiers marched for Tirzah, the capital of the kingdom of Israel. As the Jewish army approached Mount Zimmeron, which lay just east of Bethel, Scouts brought word that the Israelite army was nearby. Abijam halted his army and formed into a defensive position. Leaving the army in the care of his commander, he then headed up Mount Zimmeron. Jeroboam's army halted as well, taking a moment to regroup and prepare to crush the force of the southern tribes. As they arrayed themselves into battle formation, a sudden shout came from above them. Both armies focused their attention on the lone figure at the top of Mount Zimmeram. Hear me, Jeroboam, 
Hear me, men of Israel, the man said. Don't you know about the promises God made to the house of David? He prophesied that a descendant of David would sit on the throne of Israel forever. It is a prophecy as sure as the salt of the ocean. The speaker, whom men began to recognize as Abijam, pointed an arm at the host far below. You stand here in defiance of the very words of God. Jeroboam rose against his master and rebelled against God. He gathered evil men to himself and took advantage of my father, Rehoboam, when he was inexperienced and young, using the opportunity to take away ten of the tribes. Do you think that you can stand against us? We have stayed true to God. You have golden calves and false priests in your midst, but they can do nothing against the true God whom we still serve. How can you expect victory when you ran the priesthood out of the country, turn against the laws of God, anoint evil and perverse men to the priesthood, and trust in idols? We men of Judah stand before you, small in number, but we are loyal to the God to whom we still sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. God is fighting for us today not for you, and you will know the difference if you still try to fight. Be wise and go home. Do not fight against what is already ordained. If you do, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, the great army you trusted in will fall, and you will be scattered before us. The king disappeared as quickly as he had appeared after he finished his speech. Many in Jeroboam's army laughed at this proclamation of the king of Judah. Meanwhile, despite Abijam's bold words, some within his army were still concerned. The Israelite army before them did not seem as large as it should have been. It was as if it was only part of the army. Where was the rest of it? Suddenly, a tremendous yell came from behind the army of Abijam. Jeroboam had taken the opportunity, afforded by Judah's early halt, to send part of his army around to enclose the Jewish force. Trapped on both sides, men dropped to their knees, praying for help from God. Following Abijam's lead, the men of Judah sent up a great shout. The sounds of trumpets blasted over the two armies as the men rushed together in bloody battle. Jeroboam's men, no matter how much they laughed in scorn, were affected by Abijam's speech. It shocked their confidence to hear the trumpets blasting out in defiance. Many of the men worried. What if Judah had a secret plan? What if they really were right in saying that God was backing them? In those moments of the Israelite soldiers' weakness, Abijam's soldiers smashed into their lines, screaming at full strength. 
taking advantage of Israel's hesitation and realizing that the only way out was through their enemies, they drove at the men of the ten tribes, sending them into a full-scale retreat. By the end of the battle, 500,000 soldiers from the northern kingdom lay dead on the ground. The rest had scattered, some badly injured, some just traumatized by the swift end of their powerful army. When Jeroboam saw his army's defeat, he took off for his capital. Abijam took advantage of the retreat and built a buffer zone between Jerusalem and the border of the northern tribes. He allowed his army to rest for a few days, then captured several cities and fortified them before taking his army back south. God's help in the battle with the northern tribes made Abijam a strong king for a time. But it did not last. He fell into the same mistakes of his father, taking 14 wives and fathering 38 children and not preventing the creeping spread of idolatry. As he descended into more and more sinful acts, God ended his life. He did not want Judah to follow his wrong example. The next king of Judah was Asa, Abijam's son. Asa had taken note of the problems in the kingdom caused by idolatry and by his father's and grandfather's inconsistent keeping of God's laws. When he inherited the kingdom, one of his first acts was to destroy the idolatrous practices and places of worship in the land of Judah. Asa had to directly confront his grandmother during the course of this purge. She was an idol worshiper and had set up an idol in a nearby grove. Although it was embarrassing, Asa banned his grandmother from the court and tore down the idol. Asa set out to do everything he could to turn people to God's Lord. He made much progress that he enjoyed peace for ten years of his reign. The people once again came to Jerusalem to sacrifice and worship in a way that had not been seen since the early reign of Solomon. However, some wanted to worship God in their own way instead of following God's laws in doing so. They sacrificed to God at places closer to their homes where it was more convenient for them. Asa tolerated this, perhaps believing it was better than idolatry. Outside of this one area, he followed God closely. Asa took the peace and relative prosperity of the kingdom as a chance to fortify the border and build a better army. If nothing else, it would serve as a deterrent to other nations.
Despite Judah having taken these precautions, Ethiopia decided to attack. Zerah, king of the Ethiopians, mustered a million-man army, including an elite force of shock troops driving 300 war chariots. Scouts brought word to Asa of the monstrous size of the attacking force. He gathered his 300,000-man army and 280,000 archers of Benjamin to fight against the Ethiopians, heading south to keep the opposing army away from the capital. When the two armies faced each other, it became truly apparent how unequal the forces were. Asa was worried. He knew that humanly, there was no way Judah could win the battle. Only God could intervene to save the kingdom. He hurried to a private spot and prayed. God, you know our situation, he said, kneeling on the ground. You know the size of the force that goes against us. Help us. We have no power of ourselves to do this. We go against Ethiopia in your name, knowing that you have the power to do anything and realizing man cannot prevail against you. Our lives are in your hands. Asa returned to his army, ready to face whatever came. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the resources tab at pcg.church.